I may not have told you this in the past, but I'm guessing at this point that I probably have. But I live in Washington, D.C., inside the city limits of the District of Columbia. Now, if you have visited and you haven't had the opportunity to drive around here, consider yourself lucky. Um, It is awful. And by awful, I mean I saw a recent study that told me that D.C. has the second worst traffic in the world or in the country. Sorry, not in the world, but in the country after New York City. And I've lived in both places. And I would prefer to drive in New York City every day of the week than to drive in Washington, D.C. Um, I mean, I'm talking about crazy to the point that the other day when I was in Cleveland going downtown to the Cavaliers game, my Uber driver said to me, he goes, the driving that you guys do in D.C., is next level. It's ridiculous. But it's because I live in D.C. that I want you to know that this today's episode is a little bit uh, personal for me. Uh, my wife and I, we picked to live in D.C. when we moved here with our son in 2012. Not Maryland, not Virginia, but D.C. because we are city people. We are urban people. We live in cities. Um, and so we support things as much as possible in the city. Um, So I wanted to have my friend Brian Hess from iStreet Advocates on today to talk about this topic uh, because Brian also lives in the area uh, and he is a supporter of uh, affordability of tickets and fans rights and things like this. Uh, And this proposed arena in Northern Virginia is now it seems would be the largest subsidy of any stadium built anywhere in the country. Um, let's let's t- go back to this traffic for a second. Let me tell you exactly to give you a real indication of what this looks like. Uh, I live in Northwest DC, just north of the zoo. Again, if you've been here, you may be familiar with the zoo. Uh, it takes me about 45 to 50 minutes to get to Baltimore, to Camden Yards, to go to a ball game at Orioles Park at Camden Yards. It will that's about 40 miles, but it might take me 60 minutes, more than an hour, to go the five miles to Nats Park. And so one of the things about this is living in DC, understanding the traffic patterns, and then understanding where the stadium is built has been a big issue for me because crossing a bridge driving into this the, the area that the proposed stadium is uh, it's not set up for the kind of traffic that a stadium is going to present um, but I wanted to have Brian on to see if like some of the ideas and some of the things I thought about the stadium were accurate and the questions I brought to him was are it is this a good investment is this a good use of public funds uh, does it serve the fans you know and why is um a good or bad thing for the people in the community. And then finally, I asked him to talk about the proposal from the District of Columbia and the mayor's office uh, to partner with Monumental Sports um, to refurbish and renew Capital One Arena. So this is kind of a uh, a bit more of a personal conversation. I think you will dig it a little bit. Um, I'll be curious what your response is about these stadium subsidies and some of the issues around this arena. Now, before I turn the conversation over to Brian and me talking about this stadium, I want to remind you to check out uh, the Talking Tickets newsletter. Most of you probably already are signed up, but if you have not, you can go to talkingtickets.substack.com 
www.thebigcoffee.com and sign up for the newsletter. All things tickets, sports, and entertainment. Um, it's where like all my brand management students go and everything. Go there. Check out my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. That's www.DaveWakeman.com. Uh, there's links and all kinds of great stuff there for you to check out as well. I also have a few upcoming events and in-person things that will be getting posted to the Dave Wakeman website soon. But just to mark your calendar, uh, I will be in Seattle from the 15th of May till the 20th of May uh, on a mixture of business and pleasure. But I will probably have an open afternoon there and I'm going to try to do a, a happy hour of some nature. So mark that down. I will be in London for some client stuff between the 21st of June and the 7th of July. Uh, so um, it's not all booked right now. Uh, I'm going to actually try to do a pricing workshop while I'm there in partnership with a really great uh, freelancer organization in London. We are working out the details. And as soon as I have it, I will let you know first. So again, make sure you sign up for the newsletter. Uh, I will be in New York from the 3rd of September to the 7th of September. Uh, I have only things scheduled in the evening, so my days are uh, free. I will try to do a happy hour on the 4th of September as well. And then finally, right now, the only other thing I have scheduled is I'm going to go to Sydney and Melbourne again. I'm going to return to Australia uh, from the 12th of November to the 22nd of November. Again, mixture of client work, uh, personal time, and I'm going to try to do some public events there. Uh, and I'm going to try to, you know, and I'll have time to meet with people and get uh, to see you in person. So uh, you can find out all of those things as I announce them and as I'm able to share them with you. That is the calendar right now. But if you want to make sure that you're aware of where, what I'm doing, go to that DaveWakeman.com and put your email in the in the inbox. Finally, before I turn this over to my conversation with Brian, uh, this year I want to include more of you in the podcast. You're so great to sit here and spend an hour at a time with me. Uh, so I want to know what is going on with you. Send me your questions to daviddavewakeman.com. Help me understand what the issues are your business is dealing with right now, um, how you are struggling to drive attendance and revenue, uh, how you are finding success. If you have questions or a really pressing question about revenue, about business growth, about strategy, send it to me, daviddavewakeman.com. I am going to try to use one of the best ones um, or few of the best ones in an upcoming episode of the podcast, but I can't do that without your support. So I know that you've been, you keep showing up. So drop me a note and let me know what's on your mind. Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Without it further ado for me, let's talk to Brian Hess.
All right, Brian Hess, welcome to the Business of Fun podcast. Um, we are going to talk about stadiums today. Uh, and since we are both in the D.C. area, I guess we'll probably talk about the monumental sports and entertainment uh, new deal. Now, I'm naturally uh, an optimist, so uh, I'm going to take the point of view here that uh, this stadium deal is going to be the greatest thing ever. Um, am I wrong? Yes, absolutely. Proven economics. The economics of this never work, right? We have 30 years of economic consensus, proven science around this that says arena deals, sports stadium deals, any of these things never yield the economic benefits that they promise, right? We Since two, 1970, we have spent about $33 billion as taxpayers across the country to build playthings for billionaires. That amounts to about three quarters the estimated construction costs for those projects on taxpayer backs. We have not received that back in benefits. You see time after time, arenas and stadiums fail. They get demolished before they pay back, uh, which is the case in Pittsburgh, or teams leave their stadiums, like in St. Louis, leaving the city with bonds and interest that they can never repay. It's all a disaster waiting to happen. And it's especially bad in Alexandria, where this would be a record-setting stadium subsidy of at least $1.3 billion. Oh, so the number has um, it's gone up since they initially announced this. What was this? It's like only been like about six weeks or so ago. Um, because at first it was like maybe a bit, uh, you know, what's, what's three or $400 million amongst friends, right? So it's up to $1.3 billion. Um, I know that the economics don't work, right? Uh, because, I mean, I've done the research. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, you have to do when you teach college courses, you got to do them, do the research so you can be a credible um, teacher to the students. So I've done the research. Um, to me, though, this one seems, um, this deal seems especially bad um, for a number of reasons. And I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you why from my point of view, and I'm going to be curious about you because I'm going to try to come at this as you you have the data, you have the numbers, you can back this up. I'm going to come at this as somebody who lives in the district, right? Um, And so I'm going to give you five reasons, right? Number one, it, 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 um, it, it's unrealistically looks at the market, right? Because I've seen one of the studies that talk about, oh, 44% of the fans come from, um, Virginia. And that means 56% of the fans come from the district in Maryland. Now, if you, there's a huge thing, uh, difference between living in Northwest DC and Southwest DC of getting to this venue. Um, uh, 56% of the fans um, are being inconvenienced more than this. And when I did research at the, st- the start of this, even people who live out west on 66 and who live in Falls Church and some of these other are like going, it's still more convenient for me to go downtown. So it's unrealistic it doesn't look at things from the fans point of view even though they're blowing smoke up the fans took us from left to right um the second thing is it was not transparent and there's a lot of issues that we can bring up with the city council or the district's council uh the mayor um but this is like it came out of nowhere um the transparency issue is a, a big deal number three it's the health of the regional economy 
because you know, the hub in the district of you know in this downtown DC, that's how the city and the region is set up for everything to flow through downtown DC. And so losing those anchor tenants to Capital One Arena in downtown seems detrimental not just to the, the the District of Columbia, which would be an issue enough for me, but just for the regional economy, it seems like a, a, a big load of crap. Then knowing what the neighborhoods like over in in Alexandria, there's quality of life issues you know and then there's like and and just getting to it sounds like a horror show and then there's you know it's just like public money good uh, throwing good money after bad um those are like the where my ideas are am i wrong on any of those or am i like no i think you just did the entire podcast you you hit all all the points spot on i like to know what i'm know what i'm talking about here this is great so I've been executive director here at Sports Fans Coalition for seven years. I am no stranger to billionaire sports team owners bone smoke up our asses. And that's all this deal is. It's a bunch of smoke. There's nothing about this deal that will ultimately work out. And let's let's go on a quick little history lesson here. When we talk about Cap One, what we're really talking about is the MCI Center, mm-hmm. which was built entirely with private funding. And it has been that anchor establishment in uh, the district and has really helped bring up development around it. That's because that neighborhood prior to MCI Center was a blighted community. Let's drive or take the Metro on the green line down to Navy Yard and talk about Nats Park, which did have public funding. That public funding and the tax revenue generated by Nats Park was not enough to pay back the debt and the uh, investment. So they've instituted a ballpark fee on the businesses down there to help kind of boost up and make back that money. However, if you look at Navy Yard today, or you look at Navy Yard back in 2004, before the uh, Nats came to town, it's a big difference. And it's a great community, but Navy Yard was also a blighted community. When you build in these blighted communities, there can be benefits to the local uh, neighborhood but it doesn't mean that the economic input uh, is going to be worth it, right? The economic output you get from that almost never covers that that investment. But there is other uh, intangibles like safety and things like that or, or, or other neighborhoods growing up. But you can look elsewhere in the city and see in that same time frame, we see developments in Noma and other regions that are just as large. I mean, this whole city is just skyscrapers at this point yeah. of condo buildings, right? So you don't need a sports arena to be that catalytic investment that the city of Alexandria claims to be. But if you look into Potomac Yard today, it is the furthest thing from a blighted community. We have luxury townhomes being built left and right. You have Old Town, whose houses sell for a million bucks. You've got Delray, which is a really up and coming neighborhood for a lot of upper middle class families. There's nothing about that neighborhood that screams the need for a catalytic investment. This project would not just be the largest stadium subsidy or arena subsidy in the country. It would also be probably be the one closest to a Porsche dealership. Oh yeah. There you is could no walk to the Porsche dealership. It. It's almost across <laughs> exactly. the street. Or it would exactly. be across the street because where the target is. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at the uh, financial modeling that they that they laid out. And when I say their financial modeling, what I'm really meaning is splashy PowerPoint slides with numbers 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we've not been given the actual data set set that shows their assumptions and how they're calculating it and, and all of that. They won't release that. Uh, but if you look at it, the real money is in what's called phase two and phase three of okay. the development. This is not the building of the arena itself. This is the ancillary construction of commercial real estate, residential real estate that will inevitably, they say, come. There's no guarantees that it will. We are one recession away from that not happening within their time frame that they say it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, or we are one more pandemic away from the live events industry not actually being a viable business model for local communities. Right, One more pandemic and no one's going to be going to games anymore. No one's going to be going to shows. And that initial construction of this arena won't yield the tax revenue that's needed to cover those bonds. Well, let me... So there's like, um, well, there's a lot, but one of the things you talked about is like, oh, we're one pandemic away or one recession away from the live uh, ticket industry not being um, a viable business model. And the one thing that always strikes me about deals like this and these kind of things is that it makes me question whether or not they're viable businesses as they are, because if it was as great of a business as there is, you know, a deal like this is trying to tell me it is, or any of these, um, wouldn't there be more private investment? Because, it, you know, uh, I mean, <laughs> That's a great hey, let me just ask the, 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 the obvious one, because, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, outside the country working with teams and working with venues. And this is a foreign concept to them. The fact that like the government is like giving billions of dollars away to the construction of uh, sports arenas, you know, to support billionaire owners uh, building their businesses. And it's, you know, to me, it raises the question, is it viable? And if so, the examples you gave before make me go, it's an argument for public investment, but just not this kind of public investment, which may be two so separate conversations. Yeah, but let's talk about why private uh, industry, private banks and financiers aren't, aren't investing. That's because the deal doesn't work. The city of Alexandria and Monumental Sports have claimed that even if they are 50% wrong in their assumptions, there will be enough tax revenue to cover the cost of the bonds and the debt service. 50% margin of error. Show me one <laughs> bank in the world that wouldn't take that bet. Wow. Well, right. So let me, let me stop you there. If the assumption is we can be 50% wrong, why is anybody pay, taking this seriously? Because that's like, that's flipping a coin. It's like, right. could be, could work, could not, eh, whatever. Let's roll the dice. You get better odds than this in Vegas. That's true. And if I could look at my employer and say I'm 50% wrong, uh, I wouldn't have a job very much. So it's not it's not going to work. And the private institutions know it. And that's why they're relying on public money. Because lobbying in the influence industry can push this through the General Assembly really quickly. And in Virginia, we have a particularly tough time because we have super short sessions when compared to the rest of the country. We have a part-time legislature. They're really only in session until early spring. And we have to get this bill out of its originating chamber by next week, February 13th, which is called crossover day. Otherwise it dies. But here's the problem. 
the bill itself could die. But the bill language is also found in the governor's proposed budget, which is a must pass piece of legislation in Virginia. So we could let this bill die, never give it the hearing, never give it a vote, but it's going to find its way back up in this budget bill when we can't not vote for it. And so our lawmakers are going to try to, to get all of these solutions and, and other short-term Democratic priorities, since the General Assembly is controlled by Democrats, uh, in order to, in exchange for this arena. That's going to look like more metro funding. That's going to look like uh, legalized marijuana. It's going to look like uh, more roads and transportation funding uh, and other, other priorities. The problem is all of those are short-term problems that need short-term solutions, where not a solution that burdens us with a 40-year debt commitment on an arena that won't generate the economic income that it claims to. Yeah. The, the, the thing you, you brought up about the Metro funding too, which is another, again, I, I live here, we both live here, so we know that um, Virginia is often uh, a freeloader when it comes to the Metro. They're I'm a Virginia my whole life. Those are fighting words. Eh, well, you know, you also know I'm right because like Virginia yes. – has never paid its fair share compared to the district or Maryland. Um, how do we know, right? Like, and I guess it's a part of that 50-50 thing. How do we know that the that went, if something like this went through, that the state of Virginia would follow through on its commitments? Well, if in the budget, Youngkin decides, you know what? Virginia is going to cover the entire uh, gap in Metro funding. That's $750 million. He's not. Um, yeah, that's a one-year promise that, that solves our metro problem for 12 months, yeah. and then we're back at it, right? The federal government needs to step in. Maryland needs to step up. Virginia needs to step up. Everyone does. But the idea that Maryland would help reconstruct Potomac Yard Metro, which is one year old, yeah, yeah. in order to facilitate this arena is absurd. You, the station just opened. I've and never even been to the station, and I've lived here right. for a long time. <laughs> uh, it's one year old. It was supposed to be opened up with the Virginia Tech campus, which has not yet finished construction because of supply chain problems. And so now we've also so solved the supply chain issues, which is causing a major university delay. But all of the supplies are there needed to finish this arena by 2028. That's that's not going to happen either. Uh, so. They're saying that we need to invest an additional $200 million to make the Metro and transportation plan work, which the transportation plan really is boiling down to three points. Make Potomac Yard better, build longer turning lanes on Route 1, and have fans walk. Never mind the fact that the season that basketball and hockey occur in is winter. Yeah. So that's a preposterous plan. Uh, you can't add more rail to Potomac Yard. We're right there on the river. There's nowhere else to go. And they've also said, you know what? If we need to, we'll get water taxis. I mean, uh, so... This was one that we did we did go back and forth about as we were planning this, and I was like, the the transportation plan is, it's laughable. It's not a um, it's not realistic. It's not even it would be um, how, what's the saying? If it was if you turned it into a Hollywood script, they would tell you like it's not it's too unrealistic. It's not the airport is 
right? You, so you have your right. your DCA right there, right? You have um, not far away. There's Amtrak. Tra- there's an Amtrak station on both sides of the river. Um, so there's that. So the, those Amtrak train tracks are cutting through, and that, that'll cause problems here. Um, there's also the fact that it's underneath the, would be underneath the flight plan, flight path. So you can't necessarily do certain things as far as like road construction or facil- facilitation of traffic patterns because of your, you know, the proximity to the airport. Um, I don't even know where the question is. It's just like, what do, what are what are you supposed to make of right. something like it's, this? I mean, it's. I realize too that, like, again, I'm coming to this from a district resident and somebody who's lived here, and I go, listen, it take it's easier for me now, even if I take the metro to go to Baltimore for an Orioles game than it is for me to go to Nats Park for a Nationals game. It takes me by the time I walk to the metro, and take the metro and transfer. All, all of those, the, the two transfers I have to make to go from the on the red line to the blue line and get there, it's an hour. It's an hour to drive my car to Baltimore. And um, I, how can I take this stuff seriously? Because it's like, you know, like all these projections of 56% of the people come from like D.C. and Maryland. Uh, I know nobody's driving to that friggin' place. <laughs> nobody's taking right. all these transfers on the metro. No, no one's going to jump through these hoops in, in D.C. because it's, the traffic here is already the second worst in the nation. And I believe that's a lie because I think it's the worst because I travel enough to know better. So you're right, Dave. It's it's hard to poke holes in the transportation plan when the entire thing is one giant hole. <laughs> right. Everything about it doesn't work. You know, when you look at Gallery Place, which services uh, Cap One. You have red, green, yellow. You have all the major lines within walking distance that you can get to in transit. It is the central uh, point for the transportation in, in Metro. It's that Potomac Yard is blue and yellow lines, but it's only one track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So everyone's going to pile on two colored lines that share a track to get to Potomac Yard. I have enough time leaving a Nats game, getting on the green line mm-hmm. and loading up on that platform. It's going to be worse. Uh, and to your point, do you really think fans are going to be going and braving the cold in the winter to go watch the Wizards play? No, <laughs> they're not worth the trip in the cold and the, and the walking right now. Maybe if they you know turn around and have a playoff run, but uh, it's not going to drive the fans to to the venue that they think it's going to. Uh, it's just not going to work. And built, we talked quality of life at the top of this. The quality of life for the next four years while this thing gets built, at least four years, is going to be worse. Road construction means the delays. It means congestion. It means people have a harder time getting to and from where they need to go. Route 1 today is already a parking lot, and it has been a parking lot my entire life living here. Yeah. You can't make it better by making the turn lanes a little bit longer. No, well, it was, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, because there's also an environmental aspect of this I want to ask about, because I know there haven't been any environmental studies. But um, looking at the plans or listening to the plans, because again, details are very, 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 very minimal. 
right? Like, they're not details. The, the, yeah, they're not details, right? Uh, I have driven there. I have gone. I have spent many t- much time in that Target over the years, especially when I first moved here and lived downtown. There's no place to build more lanes unless I'm like missing something. Unless like there's all and of a sudden man. somebody waved a magic wand and grew more land. There's no like it's just it is re- it's just un- unrealistic that you're gonna like somebody's gonna go there. And you can't. I mean, yeah. Like, Tell me the only way you build another more question. Lanes. Oops, sorry. Another question too is like, so you we bring up the one track right for the blue and yellow line. Again, it goes back to like Virginia meeting its com- be you know in the metro and their the tortured history of Virginia not funding the metro uh, at a comparable level to the district in the state of Maryland is like. Are they going to promise you that they're going to expand the tracking there so make it more feasible for uh, more trains to come through? And then the thing is, like, are you going to trust that promise when it hasn't been when the funding for the metro hasn't been met for years? Hasn't been met as long as I've lived here, which is more than a decade now. I would not trust that promise. And this two hundred million dollars that they're saying they'll invest in the transportation solutions, and I use the word solution very generously, uh, is not new. $200 million. It's diverted from pre-existing transportation projects from elsewhere in the Commonwealth. That's highway repairs on I-81. That's bridge repairs down south in, in Wise County. That's roads and infrastructure that other places in our state need in order for the entire Commonwealth to succeed, mm-hmm. not just one neighborhood in Alexandria. You mentioned the environment though, and I think that's a great thing to get into. We've not yet seen any environmental impact study uh, that has been released or we're unaware if there's even one being conducted or has been conducted. But what I do know from talking with environmental scientists in the neighborhood is the soil there on the riverbank is unstable. There's all kinds of other stability mitigation efforts that we'd have to go on, uh, undergo because it can't support the weight of what this arena would be. Potomac Yard Metro Station even had additional environmental mitigation measures that had to be taken that raised the cost of the project because they were unaware of those concerns prior to planning. I've not seen anything in the plan so far that suggests these kind of mitigation efforts are already being considered or will be considered. You know, so we have that. That part of the river is already an environmentally sensitive wetland. It is where a lot of flooding today occurs mm-hmm. when we do have some heavy rainfall. Their parking garage is built underground and only seats 2,500 cars. I bet you that parking garage is going to flood from time to time. They're building it on the aquifer. They're building it where the water is going to intrude. There is no environmental reason there should be a construction of this site. The other thing is development is already planned for that area. Uh, You you see the target, which the community loves, Um, and there will be other development in the area. But that's fine because it's not the weight and size of an arena that's going to cause the amount of disruption to the environment and the the water flow there as this kind of arena will. So environmental impact is going to be detrimental. Uh, and then there's labor concerns. You know, the the company that's building this is not the most labor friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't like to use union labor. 
while Monumental does have some union relationships and there have been some unions that have said they've enjoyed working with Ted Leonsis, uh, we're also again talking phase two, phase three construction efforts. And I want guarantees that those be built with union labor. You know, we need good jobs. We don't need bad jobs. Yeah, I I agree. And I think it's important when you're talking about these, um, the environmental impact and the proximity to the river and to the airport. Um, some of the benefits are some of the promises that are made. It's like an outdoor amphitheater. And like, I won't. Put I'll put you on the spot, but we neither one of us we know that the the casino over in Maryland would not take our bet on this one. It's like that outdoor amphitheater has a snowball's chance in hell of ever getting made because of like a built because of number one you're next to the airport, number two you're right in the middle of these neighborhoods. The people are gonna like what are you gonna have? You're, you're gonna have uh, right. kiss uh, the kiss avatars out there like rocking out. No, <laughs> nobody's coming to that. Nobody's gonna let that happen. Um, it you know but but more importantly like you know the when you brought the environmental thing to my attention and the fact that there had been no studies it's like the under it's the wetland environment but also the river is extremely narrow so a lot of the mitigation techniques that they would use to me either they they would be uh, destroy the river or they would just be on uh, you know not even impractical they just would be impossible. Because you can't, you know, you can't shore up that thing because it's it's not very wide at that spot anyway. It's a very narrow thing. Um, but that, you know, but that I think that's just context. Because what I want to also do, if you feel comfortable here, is like take it back to like the the district and right and like um, Capital One Arena. Uh, the district has uh, offered up. Uh, $500 million in subsidies to help rebuild, um, repair, improve the area around Capital One Arena. Um, and this is where if the district, and this is as a district resident, if the district made that commitment and, and, and made, uh, you know, offered that, I would be, I would feel comfortable with that because I understand how much of an impact that the cap, that the arena and that investment has made for downtown. And I, you know, and I, I'm usually pretty skeptical about these things. Am I wrong? For that point of view, or or is this like a a little bit more of a situation where um, a public-private partnership might make sense? Uh, well, it sounds like you've got some Stockholm syndrome with Ted Leonsis. There is no reason that any taxpayer dollars should ever go to build a stadium or an arena, uh, especially because the economic benefits don't go. And also, what you often see when these new arenas get built is ticket prices go up because you got to pay it back somehow, and so you raise ticket prices, you raise fees. Uh, the whole fan experience, other than the fact that you have a shiny new toy, gets harmed in the process. So the shelf life of new I would is very say. short, too. <laughs> right. It's it's you a know, magic, that's, that's it's a a magic wand, point. just like winning is that covers up for. Let me I, fuck it. I don't care now at this point. It's shitty marketing and sales processes in most places, right? Because again, a lot of the TV money, a lot of these tax breaks and subsidies cover for the fact that like the businesses aren't run sustainably the businesses aren't you know wouldn't be viable without those what becomes really just welfare right so if you look at who leonsis has in his investor group for monumental sports 
he's got all the money in the world he needs. In June, about the time we think this deal might have started being negotiated, the Qataris invested in monumental sports. Now, they bought a 5% stake. It's not a significant stake. But the Qataris have about $500 billion at their disposal in their investment fund. Mm -hmm. Right? If he really needs $500 million to fix up Cap One and make it state-of-the-art, he's got a really fat bank right there waiting. He doesn't need the taxpayer dollars to do this. Uh, you know, so that's where I say you have Stockholm syndrome. There's no reason that the mayor and city council uh, need to turn over taxpayer money for this, other than they are being held hostage. They, the belief that that community, that neighborhood will be decimated when you take out the arena will probably bear true. Yeah. It is a cornerstone of that community. And so you lose that. You do lose the, the, the restaurants and the spillover. You do lose traffic there. Uh, you run the risk of crime increasing. All of those things, they may, they may very well come true. But you're being held hostage by a billionaire. And that's what you and the voters in D.C. should not forget. That, yes, that neighborhood needs that community and you need to, to work with the business to make sure it can stay there and it can thrive there. But you can't be paying off ransom notes whenever he comes asking. The arena is not that old and he doesn't need the money to make it better. It's like the um, he's like the reverse aid Poland. Am I saying it right? Poland or pollen? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Poland. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, his idea was like, I wanted to make these um, the, this neighborhood better. I wanted to serve this community. I wanted to be a good citizen and so he he made the contribution so this is like what you're telling me is the exact opposite uh yeah he is the reverse of poland but he's also the new dan snyder <laughs> you know dan snyder was the number one villain in all of dc yes and now it's ted leonsis yes um and it's funny because or at least to me it was like you know, he had handled things very well, and then like he made a heel turn. It's like what 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 is it uh, required that each uh, city has like one villain owner? Is that? <laughs> yeah, just about. I, you know, and it's like yeah, going, yeah. whoever's the late the last one standing is always going to be the villain, <laughs> the new the yeah. new or, guy. Or, or maybe maybe he's always been the villain, and we've just been too distracted by Dan Snyder. I don't know. I was never uh, never bought into the. Um, I've never really kind of followed the commanders um, very much, um, but um, so I guess let me re let me recap this thing so that so everybody kind of has it. Stadium sub subsidies are bad. Uh, I was a field of dreams is a great resource for people to look at the numbers here, right? Um, not just for this project, but just for any of them because we're talking about the monumental one. But that's just because we're local to this issue. But the larger issue is that these stadium subsidies uh, are dubious at best. Number two is like um, anything that has a 50-50 um, proposition is probably, um, it, it, you do better flipping a coin as opposed to like taking those as like some kind of numbers you could um, bet on. And that's what this deal is all asking us to do is like going, throw up our shoulders and basically be like the the shrug the shrug emoji right so that's what the numbers are um 
if it <laughs> it sounds like to me like if it doesn't if it, it seems sketchy and doesn't make sense it probably is which is like some of this these really um they're visionary uh traffic studies but they you know it's an illusion and, and it's um the fourth thing is like oh it's the opposite of creating the best environment for fans because it's neglecting almost 60 percent of the fans in your community um, and then number five is that, like, even though as a district resident, I understand the importance of the arena and everything to downtown, I should not necessarily have a soft spot at all for Monumental. <laughs> have I missed it? Did I get it all? No, you, you pretty much captured it. And you mentioned, you know, what's been going on historically nationwide with stadium subsidies and arena subsidies. And you're looking at some of the implications right now in Las Vegas which you know, they're currently courting the Oakland A's, but they already got the Raiders. And when they built that stadium, they actually bumped down the education budget as a priority spending item in order to put in paying off the debt on this. And uh, recently the teachers unions have sued. Mm -hmm. right? The city of Las Vegas has prioritized the billionaires football stadium over their own students and their school district is one of the most cash-strapped in uh, districts in the country. This is the priority there. You're seeing what happened in St. Louis when the Rams decided they didn't, they weren't getting enough money out of the city, so they up and left for LA, and then privately built a stadium that is thriving. And they did so in partnership uh, with the Chargers as well, who abandoned San Diego. But they left St. Louis holding the bag and still having to pay interest on bonds that were used to build a stadium that's no longer being used. This is happening all over the country. Monumental is not unique in that. And there's nothing about Monumental's structure and how they think this is going to work that makes it unique other than this weird feudalistic system where any income tax derived from an employee of Monumental Sports will be paid directly to the stadium authority in Ted Leonsis and not actually go to the Commonwealth. So all these multi-million dollar athletes who earn income in Virginia in this uh, new arena won't pay taxes to support the roads that they're driving on, won't pay taxes to support the schools that their kids are going to. They'll be paying taxes to Ted Leonsis. Hmm. I didn't know that. So final question then. Um, and uh, this probably opens the door to a whole like, whole other thing I didn't even even ask. You said to me in passing before we started recording that everybody involved, um, as far as like the city and the state and everything, feels like Monumentals cracked the code. Everything you've told me, me tells tells me that I think that's questionable at best. Um, why? Do people? Why do people think that they've somehow cracked the code? I think it's the glitz and glamour of being one of the only suburban towns in America to have a sports team. I mean, Alexandria would be the only suburban town to have a basketball team and a hockey team. Uh, they like that idea. You, you have Youngkin, who Governor Youngkin, who's leaving office. He can't run for re-election. This is a great feather in his cap for him to challenge Tim Kaine when it comes to uh, the next Senate race. You have mayors and city councils who probably all have sites on further public office and having a billionaire friend of yours is really nice when you run for Congress or Senate or the General Assembly 
or the governor's seat. This is what billionaires do. They show off, they demonstrate all of these economic models that don't hold true in order to convince lawmakers to just let this happen. And basically it boils down to, trust me, bro. <laughs> trust me, bro. Uh, I'm going to use that in like one of my, just anytime I, I go to talk to a client and they ask me, um, I don't have my shit together and I'm going to go, I'm going to go, trust me, bro. <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> like a big fat emoji in my head. Go, trust me, bro. Um, well, I, I tend to, I, I tend to agree. I thought that this was like a um, Governor Youngkin. See, at the time when it was announced, it was like when his poll numbers were in the t- the tank. Uh, uh, it is. Um, I think it's like garbage. Uh, I think he he's doing it just because it was the only thing that would enable him to get a little popularity. Um, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? Here. Uh, so I'm with Sports Fans Coalition, sportsfans.org. Well, we have we have a lot of blogs on this. We have a lot of information and resources for fans to to engage. And uh, if you are in Virginia, we have op- uh, opportunities for you to write your lawmakers and tell them to vote no on this deal. Uh, I'm also on X uh, and at sportsfans.org, and we'll be uh, tweeting out a lot of this and and putting out some fun information as this campaign unfolds and we try to kill this deal. Yeah, and uh, the rumor is you'll be back to talk about a couple of other things you're working on uh, very soon. Uh, so I will, t- and I will see you around town. So um, thank you for doing this uh, and I'll talk to you soon. What do you think of my conversation with Brian Hess about arena subsidies, the proposed Northern Virginia uh, arena for the Capitals and the Wizards um, investing in the Capital One arena by the DC government? Um, or any of the the stuff that we hit on. We hit quite a lot. Environmental studies, uh, job promises, the whole deal. Send me an email at my name. It is Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Now, you have made it here, this 46 or so minutes of the podcast. Do me a favor because I know you love the podcast and rate it or review it on your favorite podcast platform. This helps me get discovered. It helps me get better guests. It helps me continue to deliver really, really great content for you. And it will help me make sure that we get even better stuff in the future. So share it, rate it, review it, do that. Check out the website. It's DaveWakeman.com. You probably all go there, but you can share it with everybody you know. I don't mind. Um, and make sure you get the newsletter. You're not going to want to miss me when I come to uh Seattle or New York or London or Sydney or Melbourne. Uh, the last time I was in Australia, we did events um, for 30 people, a private workshop. We did, uh, I did a keynote address at the Australian Football League's League Day. Uh, I gave a keynote address at the Ticketing Australia. Uh, everything is on the table when I return to Australia this time. Uh, in New York, we're looking at doing uh, um, a happy hour. Um, I'm also trying to schedule something around a, pri- a client event that I'm doing. Uh, same goes in London. All those dates, all those times are at the start of the podcast. Sign up for the newsletter. I'll be the first person to let you know every time I'm able to announce something that's going on because I will be doing tons of fun stuff. 
stuff that can entertain you, um, educate you, and that will be great. Um, as always, oh, forget this. One more thing. This year, I want to make sure that I get your voice into the podcast as much as possible. I know that we have uh, these ongoing conversations, and I want people to hear you and I talking. So send me your questions, be it about strategy, be it about marketing or pricing or audience development or business growth, whatever, um, so that I can use your questions in upcoming editions of the podcast. So I can use your questions as a guide for the future of the podcast. Um, and so I get to know what what's going on with you the same way you know what's going on with me. You can send me those at daviddavewakeman.com. That's my email address. So send it right to me. And now, like I say it every time, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I will talk to you again soon. Take it easy.